Welcome into the Original Gangsters podcast. I am Scott Bernstein with my co-host and partner in crime, Dr. James Butelato. Buongiorno. How you doing, Jimmy? So uh, we are going to dive into the evergreen topic that is the Jimmy Hoffa disappearance and murder investigation that's been going on for the last 46 years. We've talked about it quite a bit on the OG podcast over the last year or two. We'll always be the podcast and the uh, information portal where you can get the most accurate, up-to-date information on the Hoffa case, which is arguably the most uh, iconic and most talked about unsolved mystery in American history, or definitely the most unsolved, uh, definitely the most uh, uh, spoken about infamous uh, unsolved murder or disappearance in American history, if not uh, crime overall. And there has been breaking news this spring on the heels of the breaking news uh, back uh, at the end of 2020, where there were talks of digs that are upcoming in New Jersey, two separate digs that are going to be happening this summer in New Jersey based on tips out of the Provenzano crew camp. Uh, Tony Pro, uh, a mobster that was a top suspect in, in Hoffa's disappearance from New Jersey. And then now we have news of the FBI being down in Savannah, Georgia this month and sniffing around and possibly digging soon on what was at one point in time the Savannah Inn and Country Club golf course uh, on Wilmington Island uh, where a criminal defense attorney from the area has come forth and claims that Hoffa was buried under the ninth hole at that golf course, which is a part of a, a, a resort, and that he was, uh, the, the, the details, uh, the, the specifics uh, were carried out by a former, or I should say a deceased Chicago mob figure by the name of Luigi Lou the Taylor Rosanova. Jimmy, thoughts on this? Well, can you sketch out who the characters are? So it, it seems like the two Biggest players in this are his attorney. Yeah. It's a guy named Bubba. Bubba, Bubba, Bubba Hopped. Bubba Hopped. So let, can we start with him? What do we know about him? He's the one who's saying that he's the one who's Rosanova come, told him about Yes, this. he's the one who's come forward to the FBI in the last couple months, I guess. Uh, so Reggie Hopped, known as Bubba, was a, a, a uh, you know, top-of-the-line criminal defense attorney down in Savannah. Uh, I think in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Like if you were, if you were a criminal in Savannah, you got in trouble, you went to Bubba Hopped. Um, Bubba Hop's, I guess, biggest client or one of his biggest clients was Lou the Taylor Rosanova. Um, Rosanova is a, is a, is a fascinating character. He played for the Chicago Bears, um, in the 1950s. I, I think he had like, you know, a cup of coffee in the NFL. Um, no career of note, but he was either in camp or played, in, you know, in the regular season for the Bears for a couple of years in the late 40s, early 50s, and then... Um, gravitated to the world of organized crime, um, was known as a, a very snazzy dresser, owned some um, uh, uh, prestigious men's clothiers in the Chicago area uh, where a lot of the gangsters would go and shop. That's how he got the nickname Lou the Taylor. And then at some point he was sent down to Georgia, uh, given a Teamsters loan. I believe this was in the late 60s. And they built the Savannah Inn and Country Club. Well, I should say, I think they renovated a previous club uh, that was in disrepair and turned it into this kind of glitzy uh, golf and resort where uh, it was 
financed by the Teamsters and became a, a hotbed activity for different mobsters from different mob families around the country, uh, descending for kind of like uh, business vacations down there where they would hit the golf course and do business. Um, you know, like the Chicago family would meet the Detroit family down there and, and, and talk business, or the New York family would meet the, uh, the Pittsburgh family there to talk business. And Lou Rosanova was like the, um, you know, the ringleader. So uh, supposedly, according to Hopped, uh, Rosanova at the end of his life um, took him aside while they were golfing on the golf course. And uh, according to Hopped, in the years that preceded, or I should say in the years that, uh, in the subsequent years um, after Hoffa disappeared, there would be a like almost this a ceremonial urination on the uh, on the ninth hole by any mob figures that were playing golf there. According to Hop, it was like this inside joke that uh, the mob guys that would be making the turn at at at, at uh, hole nine to you know play the the, the back half of the eighteen would have a beer and then, you know, relieve themselves on the whole. Uh, and the, the the rumor was that they were pissing on Jimmy Hoffa. So after Rosanova did this <laughs> uh, with Bubba Hopped when they were, they were playing around a golf, according to Hopped, as they were leaving the ninth hole um, to go find their balls in the fairway. So to speak. <laughs> so to speak. Uh, hopped was taken aside by Rosanova and Rosanova said, Oh, just so you know, I never told you this, but I'm going to let you know, you know, just this one time that, you know, Jimmy Hoffa's buried underneath the ninth hole. And that's why we do that. And then Rosanova died in 2004. And what I kind of wonder is why is Bubba Hopp coming out in 2021 when his client has been dead for 17 years? Yeah. Let me back up here. Something that I know you and I are interested in. I, I don't know if our audience is, but um, underworld mapping systems is something that I, I'm really interested in, in this sort of spatial component of organized crime. So what I mean is Georgia would have been open territory, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody had a claim on that, not, not Chicago. Not- right. There was there is no organized crime family. There's no Italian mob that right. operates in Atlanta or in Georgia. Right. It is like Jimmy said, it's open territory. You know, the Dixie Mafia or the Cornbread Mafia has had a has had a presence there for a while. Yeah, but uh, not the Italian mob. Right. So um, this is the first time I've ever even I think heard of any kind of Italian stuff going on in, in Georgia. Just off the top of my head. Well, I don't think they were running rackets per se. Just it was just what it was, a leisurely uh it was like and and resort place to go hang. Which was run by them and sure. run by Rosanova. So I'm sure a lot of m- criminal business was discussed at the resort or you know in the within the city limits of Savannah. But I don't think crime itself was being perpetrated by, you know, Italian mafia uh families. So that's all believable. Teamsters, they used it. They used Teamsters Fund to set up this resort. They conducted business there. That seems all believable, probably documented. Yeah, right no, it's all documented. Okay. So they had a front. Um, I'm blanking on the front's name. They had a, a front man who was a, a local um, Savannah real estate developer who they okay. provided the, the um, Teamsters loan to. And then Rosanova, kind of like, a, you know, in the vein of the movie Casino, 
where you know uh, Alan Glick gets the um, gets the loan and they open up the Tangiers, but Alan Glick ain't running the Tangiers. Right. right. Ace Rothstein's running the the Tangiers. So Rosanova was was running the show down there. And in fact, he moved down there. I think of the um, underground casino uh, Kings Court in Donnie Brasco. Yeah. Right. <laughs> When they're in the south, <laughs> but uh, with all the Italian guys, I mean, they stand out like uh, you know, <laughs> like a sore thumb, <laughs> like yeah. a sore thumb, right? But uh, anyhow, so Rosanova, so he retires to Georgia, or he's no, he's sent there like in 1967 to when this thing is built, yeah, to kind of be the you know the. What was the name of Ricardo Montalban's character in Fantasy Island? Oh, uh, Mr. Rourke? Or yeah, whatever? Like to yeah be, I see. The host? Be, or yeah, to be the host at the, <laughs> at the Mob Fantasy Island that is uh, the Savannah Inn and Country Club. What's interesting about Rosanova also is that he is exemplified by his his role down there, was he was, uh, you know, a representario. You know, he was a guy that was close to the bosses in Chicago, specifically Sam Giancana, uh, Tony Accardo, and had... Uh, acted as both of their drivers and bodyguards uh, at some point because he was a, you know, a, a, physic- a physically, uh, very physically fit, strong, former football player. And then there was some cachet, uh, you know, and there still is when, you know, athletes and mobsters start rubbing elbows. Oh, yeah. and, Especially uh, back then. Yeah. So uh, he was very close to Accardo and Giancana, and they would send him around the country uh, to be a, you know, be a messenger uh, do business on their behalf with other crime families. And that's where there is a dovetail with Detroit, where Rosanova was um, in connection, uh, tied to at least three different uh, crews in the Detroit mob through um, my FBI uh, surveillance logs and um, records and, and firsthand accounts. And this is labor racketeering that connects them? Was oh, yeah, that the labor racketeering denomination? drugs. Okay, what, so he was, he, was, he, was, he was working with his main contact here, or his two main contacts here were uh, Big Mike uh, Polizzi. Polizzi, who was the uh, eventually the consigliere, uh, capo, uh, chief financial officer. Uh, he was the one that handled all the money right. um, for the family, went to uh, Syracuse, got an accounting degree, yeah, and was the son-in-law of the consigliere before him, uh, Papa John uh, Priziola. So uh, Rosanova was connected to the Priziola Quasarano Polizzi camp. He was also connected. Well, those are drug guys. As soon right. as you say Priziola yeah. Quasarano. Right. And then he was also connected in the Corrado crew um, and the Vitali crew. Okay. Um, but he wasn't connected into the Jackaloni crew, which is the crew that did the Hoffa hit. Okay. So there's some, yeah, there's some, that, but some that's of those problematic other, for this yeah. theory. But there was, I mean, but. Quasarano and Vitali they, had roles. They were, yeah, yeah, that's right. They had roles in yeah, it. Yeah, so they, uh, they, so there is, so there is probably you know, some tangential uh, tie to to people that were, you know, uh, at the forefront. In my opinion, at the forefront of the conspiracy in Detroit. So he told Hopped, I guess, an addendum to to the to the knowledge that Hoffa was buried underneath the ninth hole. Um, he told Hopped that. He organized Hoffa's body being transported on a Gulf Stream on a private uh, plane that left the Pontiac Airport uh, in the hours or within minutes, so I guess, of possibly of, of Hoffa being murdered and then landed in, in Savannah, Georgia that night or that you know early evening of, of July 30th, 1975. 
um, when Hoffa disappeared from uh, Bloomfield Township restaurant parking lot on his way to meet uh, Detroit mob figure Tony Giacalone and uh, New Jersey mob figure Tony Provenzano. And uh, according to Rosanova, uh, vis-a-vis Hopped, uh, Rosanova took possession of his body at the at the uh, airport in Savannah, and uh, they buried him at, on the golf course. So let me just try to figure out who this Rosanova guy is, because I, I admit, you know, the outfit is probably one of my uh, organizations I'm, I'm not as familiar with. Um, he's a high-ranking guy, so that— I don't know he, how—honestly, though, I don't know— how high ranking he was. Okay. I mean he was he was linked to all sure all the high significant guys. guys. I don't think he ever was considered a capo. He was a okay. soul. Yeah that that's what I'm that's what I'm wondering. Yeah. So how would he I don't want to lose sight of what the focus of this is, which is the whether or not Hoff is buried there, but but um well, I think it's appropriate if, if, to dive if, into who Rosanova was. Yeah if, if, if he's, he's sent the, there, I mean how does he earn though if there if he's not racketeering down there is that a, I mean, I'm just interested in, like, the mechanics of, of how that— He's probably not earning, or he's probably not earning down there. He's probably earning back home with— They sent with him, guy, or he— or guy, He probably has his—he might not be a skipper or a cop, yeah. but he probably has guys back they there. They go back, collect, and drive it back or run, down. Or that are, well, I would suspect that when he became a wise guy, when he became a made member of the yeah. outfit, he had rackets. He had yeah. bookmaking, loan sharking, right. drug rackets, or whatnot. Um and they were being when he, when he was sent to Georgia. I'm guessing they were being looked after by you know people in his inner circle. So how how does he? What, so but back to the Detroit guys. That's interesting though that he's connected. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that the outfit Detroit relationship. There's always been, there's always been a very uh, close relationship between the two Midwest crime families, um, dating back to the Capone days. And uh, you know when Accardo became boss. He was very close with Joe Zerilli and Black Bill Toco, who were the leaders of the Detroit family. Um, and Capone was on the opposite side of that, the crosstown mob war. Remember, Capone was backing Chester Lamare. Right. But but what's interesting also is that Capone was aligned with the Jews. Uh, yeah, yeah. The Purple Gang, Purples, the Bernstein yeah. brothers, yeah. who were aligned with Joe Zerilli and Black Bill Toco. Yeah. So there's double agent yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Or you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Double cross, triple cross. Um, so there's this historical relationship. Um, so Accar- so uh, Accardo and Zerilli were very close. Um, I got surveillance um, law, uh, surveillance um, transcripts from the 60s and 70s uh, where there are lots of references to Tony Tuna. And when I was first, you know, uh, absorbing these documents that I got my hands on, I was like, who's Tony Tuna? Because you, they, you've never heard, you you hear- The Tuna. You, you hear Tony Accardo referred to as the Big Tuna. Right. Or Joe Batters, which, oh, was, yeah. which was the nickname given to him by Al Capone. Right. Um, because he beat those those two um, renegades uh, yeah. to death with a baseball bat in the scene that, that's been yeah. depicted in a lot of movies. The Untouchables. Yeah. And Accardo was the- was Although the, in The Untouchables, it's- Capone that right, does it, but right. it was <laughs> allegedly according to underworld right. lore, it was Accardo, and then he got the nickname Joe Batters after that. Right. Uh, but I remember for a good couple years, I had no idea who the references were to Tony Tuna. Uh, and then uh, when I was able to sit down with with Joe's, or sorry, not I wish I was able to sit down with Joe Zerilli. When I was able to sit down with Tony Zerilli in the last year of his life, um, he was able to clear that up for me. He's like, "Yeah, Tony Tuna. That's what we called uh, Tony Accardo." So it's. 
And then the one last thing I'll say uh, is Jack Tocco, who um, succeeded his uncle Joe Zerilli as the godfather of the Detroit Mafia from the 70s and into the 2010s when he died in 14, was very close with Johnny No-Nos DeFranzo, who was his contemporary in the Chicago outfit, uh, ran the outfit from, on a day-to-day basis, was running the outfit from the 80s until he died about a year ago. And uh, they would, every spring, take a trip together to the Kentucky Derby. So we can definitely say he's a Chicago wise guy. He's got connections to the Teamsters. He's got connections to the Detroit guys. Um, Now let's unpack the politics of the decision to remove Hoffa and see how, test how believable this hypothesis is. That's where I have a problem. Right. Let's test this hypothesis. You're not putting him on, you ain't putting the body on a plane. You ain't taking the body down to Georgia. Well, even like, let's even like, I've been someone who, um, you know, there's like, when when you look at like uh, some of the literature and the people that talk about Hoffa, you have a lot of people that think, okay, it's all the East Coast people that that made this decision, which is like what you see in the Irishman. You have some people that think, oh no, it's the outfit. Uh, I'm one of those guys who's like biased toward Detroit. I think it's I think it's almost up and down a Detroit thing. I, if anything, I I think people overstate some of these other cities being involved. Not, I'm not saying that they weren't involved, but I'm very skeptical that Chicago, other than signing off on the decision to execute Hoffa, were involved in the... In any capacity. Logistical, right, yeah. disposing of a body. They, why would they be? Yeah, and why would they... And but also, let, let's just unpack the politics of it, though. Like, would Detroit and presumably the Genovese crime family... Would it have been protocol and good politics to ask Chicago, do you have a problem with this? What do you no, think I went think, on there? I think Tony Accardo definitely had to sign off on the Hoffa hit. I think it was a three- to four-pronged sign-off. I think it needed to be signed off on by the commission, Accardo, Zerilli, uh, Accardo and Zerilli being the, the bosses of Detroit and Chicago at that time, and then possibly by Angelo Bruno and Russell Buffalino in, in, in Pennsylvania. So when you say the commission, though, would I, again, I'm, you know, we might get lost in the minutiae here, but would the commission families in New York that really weren't tied into the Teamsters, would they have been, had to have been consulted, the Bonanos, the... Uh, I, I think that... Uh, Columbos. I think they were dealing with... Gambinos. The Genovese as the... Voice of the, the commission. Voice of the yeah, commission. I, okay, I got you. That um, makes sense. So all the meetings that that were observed and um, documented were meetings between the Detroit guys and the Genovese powers in in East Harlem uh, through the through the Salerno crew, Tony Fat Tony Salerno, um, and the Palma Boys Social Club. They had uh, Petey Vitale and uh, Jimmy Quasarano. Visiting Salerno at the Palma Boys, um, I believe the August 3rd or 4th of, of, of 75, uh, within a week of Hoffa disappearing. And then they also had them at a, at a uh, dinner meeting with Genovese bosses and I think Gambino bosses at a, a famous restaurant uh, called Vesuvio. Mm-hmm. Um, on 48th Street, I believe, uh, in Manhattan. Um, and I think that 
probably was Castellano that was at that meeting representing Gambino. Gambino was a year away from. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And to complicate things even more, there is a theory out there that I think is is probably true that Traficante and Marcello did, did opposed it. Did, right, we're we're not down with this. Right, but I, I'm and, and I'm Hoppe not, tried I'm to sh- Hoppe tried to rally support right, right. from the quote unquote Suncoast Dons, right, um, including Bonanno down right, in right, Arizona and right. uh, Dominic Brooklier in oh, in, in oh, L.A. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. who was a Detroit guy? That's right, right. So, but they didn't have the weight to counter the momentum of the East Coast guys in Detroit and it seems Chicago. Yes. <laughs> wanting to, do, yeah. to go through. So let's work it's our a futile work, effort. Let's work our way up. From the from at the street level, it seems to me you have Tony Pro and Tony Jack are the instigators. <laughs> are the two saying this is we this well, guy's gotta go. Well I and think- they they gotta talk about it with they gotta run it by Fat Tony, Joe Zarilli and Probably yeah, I, a car. See, see, I don't think Provenzano. I, I think the the presence of Provenzano in the Hoffa hit conspiracy is the most overrated part of uh, some of the fallacies or or, or, or or results in some of these fallacies and some of this what I considered a, a um, misdirected narrative or this East Coast bias. Yeah. I think Provenzano was a, was a kind of a pawn on the chessboard that was being moved around by the Joserellis and Tony Accardos and Tony Salernos of the world. Uh, you know, if it was up to Tony Pro, they would have hit Hoffa oh, in 1971 yeah. when he walked out of prison. Right. Uh, right. Provenzano had been campaigning for him to be hit. Right. For years. Right. Once the decision was made to hit him, at that point, they, the, 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 the shot callers who, who decided to kill Hoffa for not the same reasons that Provenzano wanted to kill Hoffa. Right. Provenzano had a personal yeah. beef with Hoffa uh, that, uh, right. that was very <laughs> intense. Yeah. To the they point didn't where like each other. They were threatening to kill each other's families. Right. I mean, that's how bad it got. Yeah. Um, but this was a more calculated, uh, deliberate decision made for reasons that really had nothing to do with with Provenzano's personal issues. But once the decision was made, they realized they could use Provenzano and Hoffa's need to get Provenzano's support for his run in 76 related to the, the, the delegate block that Provenzano controlled. They knew that Hoffa was so desperate to get the Teamsters Union presidents. That was the bait. That they knew they could use him as bait. And they knew right. Tony Provenzano would be, would be more than down for it sure, because sure. he wanted off uh, his six feet under. Right. So, and then. So I think, but but to Tony Giacalone, I believe, was the quarterback of this entire thing. Yeah, I do too. So Chicago needs to be involved because a substantial portion of the Teamsters pension fund is being managed by Chicago guys. Not only this thing in Atlanta, but Vegas, mm-hmm. California, a lot of stuff. In, and the Detroit guys, too. I mean, the Detroit—Hoffa I, I, was an asset of the Detroit Mafia, but I would say he was a co-asset 
of yeah. the Chicago outfit. Yeah. I would not say he was a asset of the New York mafia no. or the or the you know maybe I, some of the Pennsylvania mafia uh crime families definitely used him as an asset but was used kind of like on loan from Detroit and Chicago. Okay. I mean it's interesting by the way that the Teamsters thing when you think about like the, you're talking about the Sunbelt and looking at some of these FBI documents that like in the 60s especially in the 60s, a lot of the economic development in San Diego yep. and L.A. is from Teamsters. Arizona. Arizona is from the pension fund. And uh, and, and you see this names attached with Zerilli, Toco, Priziola. Licavoli. Licavoli, right, a lot of the Detroit guys. Um, so, but but we know Chicago was was doing that too. And that little that little kind of lost piece of history that, that Hoffa was – behind the scenes, you know, politicking with all of the, the Southern and um, uh, West Coast bosses. Yeah. It, flies in the, it flies in the face of the public stance that Hoffa was taking at that time, that he was anti-OC. Right, he was going to clean it up. Right. Yeah. Well, he was an anti-OC. Well, we know that was he was just... anti-OC that was opposed to his way of thinking. Right, he was anti-people who were anti-Hoffa. Yeah. <laughs> that was his main, it was propaganda. Um, so the, the idea that Chicago's involved is a legit position involved in the sense that I think they had a say in it, but right. I don't think, right. what would be the point of, of including them from a logistic point, yeah, of, from a logistic right, standpoint, right. It doesn't make sense. In the, it, putting together the particulars right. of the hit itself and the burial process. Right. And put a, put a body on a plane. Well, you know, Bubba Hop's uh, response to this would be exactly why, you know, nobody would think that they would move him down to Georgia. That's why they moved him down to Georgia. Or you could take him a few miles away. <laughs> or you could just incinerate, incinerate him in a, you know, 10 miles away. I love In a, in a mob-owned uh, incinerator. I love, and with all due respect to some of our past guests who we'd really, we really admire, uh, some of these elaborate, well, what, theories what, about what what to do with the body, and and when when the easiest thing to do, and it's not just Scott and I saying this, um, it, this is from prosecutors, FBI guys in Detroit who had informants saying to two dozen over two dozen FBI agents that have worked the Hoffa case live, yeah, starting from 1975 when the first call came in till today. And every single one of them says this was a Detroit job from top to bottom. Right. right. I mean, that's that's my understanding, and that's what I hear too. And but it's it also makes sense though. It's not that's not that's not just oh they're oh yeah, but they're saying that. But who believes them? Well, if you look at it logistically, it it makes sense in terms of they have the guys, they know places you can dispose of a body. Why transport it on a truck? Why fly it on a plane? The body when you can just dispose of it here. It's gone. Um, How about the fact that the, your go-to hitmen in the Detroit Mafia, the Jackaloni brothers, who were probably responsible for upwards of 50 to 100 gangland homicides, whether or not they did it themselves or they ordered it done, and were never – not only were they never convicted of a murder, were, were never indicted on murders. So this is a crime family dating back to the 30s that had a Ph.D., in gangland hits. Nobody <laughs> nobody murdered better and got away with it in the mob in America than yeah. Detroit. So why so, farm so, that out? Right. To uh You got Michael Jordan here. You know, why call, you know, why call Andre Drummond onto the onto the court? 
Yeah. You got you got LeBron James. What well, you know? What, what, why, why do you need uh, yeah. Chris Paul? Yeah, I mean, Keith Corbett even said that. He's like, you got plenty of killers here. There's no yeah. need. There's there's just no need to bring in anyone else. So, uh, so then there's also just to add on to the Chicago angle, and, and we kind of touched on this with our, our our last Hoffa episode with Dan Mondea, was that an, there's another theory being explored. Uh, by the FBI and the, the Royal um, Mounted Canadian Police. Uh, or was it the Royal Canadian Mounted Police? Sorry, the RCMP. Yeah. Uh, that puts Hoffa's body in Ontario. And according to this, this particular theory, um, which includes... Detroit mob figure Tony Palazzolo and a corrupt police officer. Um, according to this theory, the shots in the conspiracy were not being called by Detroit. They were being called by Chicago, Joey Ayupa, Joey Doves Ayupa, who at the time was a Cardo, Tony Cardo's uh, front boss, acting boss. Uh, so, you know, that, that theory too, um, you know, subscribes to the belief that that Chicago was quarterbacking this. Why? Why would? Why does Chicago have to send the body to Ontario? What's the connection there? No, they Chicago. According to this theory, Chicago outsourced the job to Detroit. Detroit did the job. Palazzolo used one of his dirty cop connections to put the body into a maybe a police car. I'm not sure, but I'm guessing that's what the theory was, and drive him across the border and bury him in a park. And, well, I mean, you know, in 75, that, I mean, in fairness, crossing the border was not like it is now in 75. Mm-hmm. Th- that's not impossible that that, that could be. No, I just, and, I, and, I sub, and I subscribe to the fact that Tony Palazzolo is really the X factor and the missing link for a lot of years into to what went down. He, I believe he was the... the most likely the trigger man uh, or most likely there when the trigger was pulled and then was in charge of disposing of the body. Uh, so I believe Tony Palazzolo was, was at ground zero for this thing. But again, the, why the, would he be put in charge? Why would he be put in charge of the burial? Yeah. Um, after he, after he uh, was there for the hit. Wasn't uh, he too, he's too low ranking. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't like, wouldn't Jimmy Q or somebody be saying, so I I think if he wasn't quote unquote in charge of the burial, he was the person that the person in charge of the burial was using as his boots on the ground. Um, that's what the FBI believes right now. I mean, I know what the FBI's theory right now is that the two Detroit guys that were on the hit uh, were Tony Palazzolo and Billy Giacalone. Um, now, who actually pulled the trigger? I think that's up for debate. Some people believe it was Palazzolo. Some people believe it was Billy Giacalone. Some people believe it was Sally Bugs Bergulio, Tony Pro's. Um, yeah, well, we know who right hand man. We know who believes that. That's yeah. Dan, that's definitely Dan's. Uh, but but, um, but but I think the thing that I take issue with again with this this other theory that puts the body in Windsor is that you know it was Chicago that was you know. Uh, moving all the pieces on the chessboard and calling all the shots, not Detroit. Chicago was telling Detroit what to do. Ayupa was, Ayupa was, you know, in this theory, Ayupa was Tony Giacalone. Ayupa was the one that was quarterbacking everything and telling Tony Jack what to do. 
Yeah, and the the Detroit organization, I, I I'm not saying they could take on the outfit because I don't think they could have, but I'm just saying the the Detroit partnership, if you want to call it that, in '75 was a lot more formidable than what we see now. So the idea of like Chicago just coming in, muscling in, saying this is what you're going to do, that's unlikely. Um, not only just like in terms of muscle, but just like geopolitically, like you said, they, the, the two organizations got along well and had diplomatic relations and it just doesn't seem likely. I mean, Jack Ohlone and Iupo, you know, knew each other and did business with each other. Yeah. I just recently in the last couple of days saw an FBI surveillance photo from, I believe like uh, 1978 uh, down in Florida. Um, of a picture of, of, of Jack Ohlone and, and Joey Aupa meeting. Hmm. So, um, I mean, I guess my— They were equals, though, Tony, in, well, my, in my opinion. Aupa did Within their rank. organizations or, like, uh, well, nationally? Aupa was the street boss for Chicago. Right. Ocardo was the real boss, even right. though he might not have held the name. Right. Uh, Aupa was running the street, and Jack Ohlone was the was the street boss for Detroit, although didn't have the name— uh, I think in the press at the time, Ayupa was identified as the boss of the Chicago Mafia. I don't think people at the time realized that Ocardo really sure. never really relinquished And that's what Ocardo wanted. Right. That was by design. So, yes, in the papers at the time, Ayupa was being called a boss and Jack Loney was being called a capo. But I think for all intents and purposes at the time, they were on par with each other. They were both, for all intents and purposes, the street bosses or the acting bosses. So I would I would say my issue with the Windsor theory is uh, not that T- Tony Pell wasn't involved, not that 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 that's not possible, but it goes back to mileage. It's just too far. It's too why why when you can get down to Hamtramck, it's a lot closer. Why risk taking a bike why, across why, the, right, the border? And I get crossing the border was not the same then as it is now. It was a lot less. And according like, to their theory, you had a police officer that was yeah, ferrying the body. Th- well, they don't have corrupt police here. Right. No. We know they did. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. They can, they can, even so, if that's the way you want to go, you find a corrupt cop in the, in the vicinity of, of where the hit t- took yeah, place. I, I can't really give the name of the guy that's pushing this theory because he doesn't want his name out there yet. But I will say that he is a very very um, well-respected researcher, documentarian that's done some work on some pretty iconic crimes and and has found traction in in that work. So he's co-signing this along with a quote-unquote former longtime Detroit newsman. I have my my speculation on who that is. I don't know for sure. (laughs) Um, Someone that's not, uh, I'm not a big fan of and isn't a big fan of me. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're the ones that are behind that theory. And although I might not love the, the newsman that I think it is, he is a, a newsman that's done a lot of great work, has worked on the Hoffa case, was one of the first people to, to report on the Hoffa case. Um, I, I believe that he, he, at this point in his career, piggybacks off a lot of my reporting which might be kind of poetic justice because I piggybacked off of a lot of his reporting from the 70s and 80s for my work in the 2000s. Um, now this guy, again, I don't know for sure if it's this person, but um, and uh, anyway, they've, they're the ones that are, that are coming up with this theory. So because I respect that guy as a journalist in theory <laughs> um, and because I know that this documentarian is someone that has done really good work on other big cases, 
I, I, I give it a, 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 you know, a modicum of There's merit. an interesting dynamic going on here, and I, I suppose I'm uh, maybe going to sound uh, come off sounding uh, sour grapes here. Or whatever. I'm not sure if that's the right term. but So Scott has, has put forth this theory based on his interviewing sources. I've put forward almost the exact same theory based on people I've talked to, which are a lot of the same people Scott has talked to. You can see us quoted in magazines, documentaries, whatever. And because we are the two individuals out there making the strongest case for a Detroit-centric operation here, I like that no one can just say, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, like <laughs> everyone's out there like, Eh. Oh, you you got some f- some theory about a fucking golf course in Georgia? Hey, let's okay, go. let's go. <laughs> let's go. FBI ran down there. I mean, there's just you were talking about the bias. I mean, that's a great way to put it. Like, it's just like it just for some reason there's like this wall, like this blockage, like 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 refuse to accept the possibility that this was a top down Detroit operation and the most fucking far out theory about transporting him in a plane to a fucking golf course or whatever <laughs> to some fucking dump in Jersey. Like th- that seems to be more credible than <laughs> I, I think a very solid case that we've made. Yeah. Well, it's, again, it's this, this incredible, at, at first I was calling it an East coast bias, but now it's just really an anti Detroit bias it seems like in it. a lot of people's uh, narratives yeah. for the Hoffa conspiracy. And, and you know, it's front and center in the, in the Irishman, which Detroit is like, uh, yeah, is just, if, if, if the, the murder hadn't taken place in Detroit, you never would have heard the words. You would never heard the word Detroit. No, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, the, you you don't get that sense at all. If anything, the first Hoffa movie had better representation of the they, they had a Tony Jack character that was right. legitimately the way Tony Jack was. Yeah, Armand yeah. yeah, he's great. Yeah, played Delisandro. Yeah, uh, who was they didn't call him Tony Jacqueline because Jacqueline was uh, alive at the time, and I right. guess they were worried about being sued. But he was great in it. They had a Joe Zarelli character too, um, the Sicilian Don. But uh, you know, in this in this uh, in the Irishman's version of events you know the tony jackaloni character is a clown i mean literally like a clown yeah he's like a second rate he's like oh he carries the water for yeah. tony provenzano right he's like he's presented as like tony pro's bodyguard or something so let's have an official original gangsters podcast vote on the georgia theory i give it two thumbs down <laughs> yeah you know I, i'm uh do we have a consensus here? <laughs> I don't really give much merit to it or value in it. The fact that the FBI is down there sniffing around says something because they don't just jump uh, and go towards every theory that has Seems come out. Seems like they do, though. Well, I, I, well, I'm talking about the last <laughs> handful of theories that have come out um, since Zerilli, uh went to the FBI, since Tony Zerilli went to the FBI in 12 and, and took them to the Toco farm. Uh, up in uh, Rochester, Oakland, Oakland Township, Michigan, uh, and they dug in May of 13 and didn't find anything. Since then, there's been a couple, you know, leads or uh, tips that the Michigan State Police and other local authorities have uh, run up the pla- uh, run up the flagpole, uh, but the FBI wouldn't get involved in it. So you're saying they're being more circumspect. They're being more 
selective in, in where they're going to go and, and kind of set up shop to look at a theory after the last two big digs, uh, both at the McMaster's Hidden Dreams Ranch in 06 and then at the Toco Farm in 13 were, were big goose eggs. You know, they, they came away with a big goose egg, and it was embarrassing, and it was even, you know, the added embarrassment in in 2006 was the fact that it wasn't just an ordinary dig. It was like a two-week excavation that ended up costing taxpayers like $5 million or something. Yeah, well, that that's that's the source of a lot of the criticism. I yeah. think it unreasonably or justified. So all I'm so. saying is that I know for a fact that the Detroit FBI has been down to Georgia in the last couple of weeks and and are taking this more serious than they've taken other theories to emerge. In fact, I would say they might be taking this more serious than they are the, the, the Jersey, the Jersey digs. I don't know that. I don't let me just I don't know that for a fact. I'm just kind of the gauging the temperature of the people I've talked to in law enforcement. It seems like they might be giving this more weight than they are the Jersey Dicks. Well, let's wrap this up. And I, I would encourage listeners, if you like this story, we look through our archives. We have a lot of episodes. We've talked to Dan Muldea a couple of times. We've talked to some Detroit FBI guys, prosecutors. US attorneys. We had some US attorneys. We had a couple of Irishmen review episodes so if you like the Hoffa story uh, you know check out some of our archives and make sure that uh, you subscribe to us and uh, we're on Instagram now Facebook Twitter so uh, keep on spreading the word and uh, we'll keep on bringing you good content I'm Jimmy Bucciolato Scott Bernstein and uh, we look forward to uh, keep on bringing you fresh content every week and uh, you know interacting with you and engaging with you and and like Jimmy said, if you if you like what we're doing, uh, like, subscribe, retweet, share, and uh, you know we love it. We love bringing it to you, and we appreciate all the support and all of the listenership. And uh, we'll be back with more content soon. Scott Bernstein, Jimmy Bucciolato, out. <laughs>